Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15, again. We have been taking time to look in this passage of Scripture at a somewhat familiar, I guess you could call it parable, that Jesus used. It's really more of an illustration of the vine and the branches. Jesus told this illustration to his disciples to help them better understand how important a relationship with Christ really is. He says, he is the vine and we are the branches. Just like a branch could not exist without the vine, much less thrive and be fruitful, Without Christ, we can do nothing. This morning, we're going to be looking at verse 5, where Jesus stated it that plainly. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do what is that last word? Nothing. Our Heavenly Father, we need you this morning to show us how much we need you. And Lord, as we consider our relationship with Christ, I pray that our love would not be in word only, but that may, we may truly walk closely with Christ, and thus with you and the eternal Godhead every single day. Lord, I know that I need you to help me communicate your word in a way that is helpful and not a hindrance. And so I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and behind your holy word, and that your Holy Spirit would do the work that we need done. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When a person accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are placed in Christ. The Bible tells us that Christ dwells in them. There's this mutual connection that is involved. And the result is that the eternal life of Christ then flows through every disciple of the Lord Jesus. Our eternal destiny is secure because we have eternal life. We do not have to worry about Spending eternity in hell because Christ has saved us from that, from the penalty of our sin, and has given us eternal life. That part is a done deal. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that Christ didn't just do most of the work and say, all right, I've done most of it, now it's up to you to do the rest? Because I'm going to tell you, if it was up to us to do the rest for salvation, none of us would be saved. He has done it all. And so our eternal destiny is secure. 
because we have the eternal life of Christ in us. But how that life manifests itself in our day-to-day living depends on the choices that we make. And here is an important distinction that we must understand if we are to live like God wants us to live. We have to understand that while Christ is in us and he wants to work through us, we have to choose to allow his life to flow through us unhindered. Now, according to what Jesus says in this passage, when you are abiding in Christ with consistent, close fellowship, then he promises that he will bring forth much fruit in your life. Notice again verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now understand, there's a very important order here. We abide in Christ. That's first and foremost. Then we bear fruit. And the bearing of the fruit is not through any effort or through any work. It is through our abiding in Christ and allowing him to work through us. As he says in verse number eight, when we bring forth much fruit, we will bring glory to the Father and we will be truly acting as his disciples. Now, if you are not abiding in Christ, then the opposite is true. Because Jesus said at the end of this verse, without me, ye can do nothing apart from Christ that is absent of that abiding relationship. We can do nothing. Nothing that is good or beneficial, that is. There's lots of sinful things we could do. There's lots of selfish things that we could do. But there's nothing good. There's no fruit that will come out of our life if we're not abiding in Christ. Without that abiding relationship, we're just like a dead branch. All that we produce is disease and rot that will infect the rest of the plant unless it's pruned off. The same is true of your life. When you are trusting in your flesh instead of living in dependence on God, your life is going to be withering, dead, and unfruitful. And so it is abiding in Christ that ensures that our life is vibrant and fulfilling. We're going to note three simple truths from this verse today. Number one, we're going to see the producer Number two, we're going to see the produce. And number three, we're going to note the powerlessness of the branches. So number one, let's note the producer. We're going to talk a lot today about the actual bearing of fruit. That is the outworking of an abiding relationship with Christ. We've covered pretty well, I think, what abiding means. It's having that consistent, close fellowship with Christ where every single day you realize that you are dependent on Him and you live in that dependence. So what does that produce? And who is the one that actually does the producing? So number one, the producer. Who is it that produces fruit in our life? 
Well, let's take this verse as a whole. First of all, he again emphasizes the need for us to abide in him. And he says, when we abide in him, something else is happening. He is abiding in us. There is a mutual relationship there. And when we're doing that, then we will bring forth fruit. So we have, if you will, two ingredients. You have you and you have Jesus. You put the two together and what is the result? Look at the verse. Say louder. Fruit. So you take you, Jesus, put them together in an abiding relationship, and the result will be fruit. Okay? But then Jesus at the end of the verse says, without me, you can do what? Nothing. So you take one of those two ingredients, you take Christ away, what are we capable of producing? Nothing. So then let's apply some God-given rational logic here. Who is the one that is actually the important component in this? Who is the one that is actually doing the producing? Is it me? No. Because I cannot do anything of myself. Who is the producer then? It is Christ. It is God working in me that produces any and all good that is in my life. Anything good in your life, that's God. It's God's working. It's God's blessing. That is God at work in your life. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, nor even a shadow of turning. All of the good in our life is from God. All of the good that comes out of our life then is from God. So many times we act as if the good in our life was our doing. And maybe we're not so arrogant as to say it's 100% our doing, but the fact of the matter is it is 0% our doing, and if we even take 1% credit from what, uh, of the good in what has come out of our life, then that is 1% credit that we have taken away from the one who deserves it, and that is God Almighty. He alone is the producer. You look at the illustration of the vine and the branch. You cut the branch off of the vine. You throw it on the ground. Will that branch produce any fruit? No. It has to have a vital connection to the vine for anything good to come of it. That is what we mean. When we say that Jesus is the producer, it is his life working through us. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Keep your finger in John 15 if you can. Because we'll come right back there. Matthew chapter 11. Because here Jesus gives a promise that is a paradox. You know what a paradox is, right? It's not two doctors standing together. It's, it's a seemingly contradicting statement. How do these things work together? Well, notice where Matthew, in Matthew 11, Jesus gives a promise that is a paradox. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. How many of you 
have been through times or maybe are at a point in your life where you are, la- you are laboring and you feel heavy laden. You've been there or you are there. Raise your hand. Okay? I think all of us have either been there or we currently are there right now. We are working hard and we feel the pressure and things are weighing on us. So Jesus extends an invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and notice his promise. He says, I will give you rest. What does rest look like to you? Staying in bed extra hour or two on a rainy Saturday morning? Maybe just sitting out on the porch on a nice cool Saturday afternoon, listening to the birds and feeling the breeze. Maybe it's going off for a few days and enjoying some mountain air, going down to the coast, just relaxing on the seashore. What does rest look like to you? For most of us, rest equals inactivity, right? That, that's rest. And so when he says, I'll give you rest, we're thinking, oh boy, a vacation. A day off. Whew, I need that. But then he says, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Wait a second here. Whoa. And by the way, this is Y-O-K-E. Not yoke of an egg, but a yoke that is an instrument of hard labor. It was a harness type thing that they would put animals in, make them pull a plow or a wagon or something like that. All right, a yoke was a symbol of hard work. Jesus just promised us a vacation. No, he didn't. He promised us rest. And then he invited us to work. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. Notice, let me finish verse 29. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. Here's the paradox. The rest that Jesus invites us to is not the rest of inactivity. It's the rest of abiding in him. It's the same kind of illustration. Yoking up with Jesus. You know what that means? Like you put two oxen together in a yoke, they're literally going to be walking side by side, close to one another, consistently, constantly, in step with each other. That's what they're doing. Is that not this idea of abiding in Christ? Close, constant fellowship with Him, walking in step with Him? And Jesus says, when you do that, I'm going to give you rest you will find that your labor is no longer heavy. It is light, verse number 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you would rather your life be a little bit easier or a little bit harder? All right, if you're going to vote harder, you're thinking, man, life is too easy. I need some challenges. Raise your hand. All right, we've got one. Very good. Anybody else? All right, how many of you would say, you know what, if I had to pick and I could, i gonna say I'd like it to be a little bit easier right now. Anybody else like that? How many of you are afraid of raising your hand because pastor might call on you? Go ahead. Raise. All right. We would all say, yeah, I want something a little easier. I need some breathing room. I need some space. I need some bandwidth, right? I just got so much on me. Jesus says, Here, here's how you do it. Get in the yoke with me. Keep working. Don't stop working. But come alongside me and get in my yoke. Instead of carrying the yoke all by yourself and trying to do the work all by yourself, get in the yoke with Jesus and work with Jesus. And when you do that, you'll find that, yes, you're still working. But man, it's a lot easier. And you look back and you realize, wow, I'm getting a whole lot more done than I thought I would too. 
Why? Because he is the one that is doing the work. He is the one that is pulling the load. He is the one that is producing the fruit. I love this illustration of producing fruit. Because when you think about life and what we do in life, really, so many of our efforts, so much of what we do is about producing. It's about production. It's about something like that. And, and I was thinking about this. Even the most lazy person in the world who you would look at and say, they don't do nothing. You know what? They're actually working hard to produce what they want. You know, Because you know what they want? They want pleasure and ease. So they're working hard to do nothing. And I mean that quite seriously. Like, like so much of our life is about producing results and getting the things that we want, right? And so the question is how, first of all, what do we want? And second of all, how do we go about achieving that? We can, we can go after what we want in our effort. And you know what? People do that and they succeed all the time. You might be thinking, well, wait a second, I thought you were trying to encourage us to, you know, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And you're saying that they people succeed just doing whatever they want all the time. Well, yeah, but they succeed in sinful things and selfish things. A person wants to become wealthy because they love material things. They love the prestige. And so you know what? They get out there, they work hard and they do their thing and they, they produce and they become wealthy. They want to become famous because they want the prestige, they want the recognition, and so they get out there, they work hard, they post the videos, they have the social media following, and they, you know what? They succeed. I don't remember who it was that said this, but a quote that I, I learned a long time ago really stuck with me. Somebody said, my fear is not fit to fail, but my greatest fear is to succeed in that which does not matter. There's a lot of people that are succeeding in things that don't matter. And yet, there are things coming out of their life. There is produce, but it's not good produce. It's only when we abide in Christ and allow Him to produce in and through us what He wants there to be in and through our lives that we experience the satisfaction and the fulfillment that God designed the Christian life to bring forth. It is not up to us to produce or perform in the Christian life. And look, I'm a carpenter. I grew up, my dad was a cabinet builder. I've been working with wood literally as long as I can remember in one form or another. You know, it started out whacking down trees and building things with them that fell apart the day later. But I've actually done it professionally. So I, I let me illustrate what I'm trying to do here. In carpentry, when you're doing finished carpentry, uh, you're going to use small nails, say, to put trim up or something like that. And in the old days before nail guns, when you were doing that by hand, you would drive a nail in the baseboard or the crown, and then you would come back and you had this little tool called a nail set, all right? And you take that nail set and you go to the head of that nail, put it on there, and then you tap it a little bit more with the hammer because you really want to set that nail all the way down in the wood and then you'll come back with wood, wood filler and you cover it up. 
You got to set the nail. All right, that's what I'm trying to do right now with this abiding in Christ idea. You're like, you're hammering on this a lot, Pastor. Yes, I am, because we have to get this set in our minds. It is the key to the Christian life, and I don't mean that lightly. So many of us were raised or discipled in a culture of performance. The people who were praised were the people who performed. And either consciously or not, we got the idea that a good Christian performs. And it became about the performance, about the visible, about the exterior, about the doing, and about the motion, and about the activity, and about the busyness, and about the stuff, and about the programs, and about the buildings, and about the numbers, and and about all of these exterior things to the exclusion of our relationship with Christ. It was like, you got to do this, 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 and this. Oh, and if you get a chance, read your Bible, pray, and talk to Jesus too. But really, you got to be doing this. Rarely was it said that way. But many of us got that idea that it was about performance. I still remember many years ago when the Lord took me through a season of life and and began, I'm not going to say he's taught me this because I'm still learning, but began to teach me this principle. And I, I still remember the season of life and somebody had said some things and I'd some, read some things and God just kind of put some things together and he brought me to a point and there was one simple phrase that came, God just drilled into my mind and here it is. I can't. I know that sounds simple, right? But for me, for me where I was, and I was, at, at, at this particular time, it was kind of between ministries. It was before my first pastorate. And I had, I had really, not, in, not intentionally, but just kind of how I was raised, how I thought, the impressions I got. I, I don't blame anybody else other than my misunderstanding. But I had never really thought of it in those terms before. I'd always thought that the call to serve God and the call to be a Christian was a call to get out there and perform. And God had to say, no, you can't. You can't do it. Whatever I've called you to do, the Lord says, you can't do it without me. I'm the producer, God says. You go back to scripture, and it's almost astounding how many times God tells us this. And it's like, why don't we get it? Galatians 2 and verse number 20 Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live how? By my own performance? No, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think, anything as of ourselves but our sufficiency is of God 2 Corinthians 12 9 that's the place where Paul was praying about his thorn in the flesh remember God had given him a thorn in the flesh it was a God sent physical ailment 
that Satan was trying to use to discourage Paul. And Paul prayed about it three different times. And by that, I think he means three seasons of prayer, not just, you know, three days once a day or something like that. But he would gone to God on multiple occasions. God, take this away from me. And you know what God said? No. Boy, that's frustrating. It is frustrating when God says no. But that's not all that God said. He said, my grace is sufficient. Not your good works, not your hard work, not your skill, not your education, not your talent, not your money, not your status in life. My grace is sufficient. And here was Paul's attitude after that. He said, most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities. What's an infirmity? It's a weakness. It's a limitation. It's something I can't do. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? The power of Christ may rest on me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writing there said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus and him crucified, and was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to say something because this is the home team. This is the, you know, we're all family here. We know one another. I praise God for the upbringing that he gave me. He made no mistakes putting me in the family that he put me in, putting me in the church and the Christian school that I grew up in. I praise God for it. I grew up in what most people call the independent fundamental Baptist movement. So much about that movement is wonderful. But there was an aspect, not in all cases, but in some cases, far too many cases, I fear, of the movement, the kind of church that I grew up in. There was one aspect that I do not believe was good. And it has to do with Paul. what Paul said in the verse I just read, 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here was the flaw that continues to plague Christianity today. It's not just the independent fundamental Baptist movement, by the way. It, 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 it is a problem that you will find all throughout Christianity. I don't care what circle you want to draw. And the problem is to confuse and mistake the wisdom of men for the power of God. There's been too much man worship. People following a celebrity preacher. And that's what I'm going to call them. And this celebrity preacher, sometimes they haven't always been of the most stellar character and they have fallen. What has happened to the institutions that were built around them? Those institutions have fallen with them. People's faith has been wrecked. Why? Because they put more faith in the wisdom of man than in the power of God. Folks, Bearing my heart to you today, we have to understand that the producer of any and all good in our life 
is Jesus and Jesus alone. We must get our eyes off of ourselves and off of everyone else. We have to stop looking everywhere else or inside ourselves for the answers. We have to look to Christ and Christ alone. That is abiding in Christ. He alone is the producer. Number two, what is the produce? All right, you go to the grocery store. You want to buy some apples and oranges. Maybe you want to get a bag of potatoes. Maybe you're one of those weird people who like broccoli, and so you want to do that too. I'm sorry. I know it's good for me. My mother's here, you know. Eat your vegetables. I know, I know. It's good for me. You go to the store, you want to buy these items. What section of the store do you go to? Electronics? No, you go to the, say it, produce section. Very good. You get an A. You go to the produce section. That's where you find all of the things that have been produced by plants. All right? They've grown on a plant. So what, are the, what is the produce that is the fruit that God wants to bring forth in our life? Because he says in this verse, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then here's what's going to happen. The same, that is that same person who's abiding in Christ, so Christ is abiding in him. There's that mutual relationship, that consistent, constant fellowship with Christ. That same person will bring forth much fruit. Well, there are at least three categories of fruit. First of all, in Scripture, and this is probably the most obvious one we think of, the fruit of the Spirit. Turn to Galatians 5. Let's, let's review for just a moment. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Mentioned in three places in the New Testament. The most famous, Galatians 5, where we have a, the longest list. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I love that last phrase. You ever really thought about that? Against such there is no law? I have never heard of a state passing a law that says we are outlawing peace. Can't do it anymore. I've never heard of anybody in Congress putting forward a bill, even for consideration, that says we're outlawing love. Can't love anymore. <laughs> Against such there is no law. What are these fruits? What is this fruit here? It is the godly, Christ-like character traits that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Each of them has an outward manifestation, but each of them is a work that God does in here. I love others because of my love for God. I have peace with others because I have peace with God. I am long-suffering outwardly because I have enjoyed and experienced the patience of God. I am gentle and I am meek with others because God has taught me to emulate Christ who was also gentle and meek and so on and so forth. 
James 3 also talks about the fruit of righteousness. Ephesians 5, 9, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The first kind of fruit that God wants to produce in your life is the godly character traits of Christ-likeness. And listen, that's not something you can produce. You ever tried making yourself more patient? Try it sometime. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get tired of waiting for yourself to become more patient. That's what's going to happen. You can't do it. God has to do this work in your life. Very quickly, there's a couple other kinds of fruit. There's the fruits of servants. These are actions that the Holy Spirit produces through our lives. For example, Hebrews 13, 15, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. That's an example. Praise to God is a fruit, an action, in this case, that God wants to produce in us. Romans 15, 28, Paul talked about his ministry in a certain location. He said, When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. He was talking about a specific ministry that he was going to accomplish, and he spoke of that ministry as a fruit that is a produce of God's working in your life. You know, so much of what we call ministry is not done in dependence on Christ. It is done in the power of the flesh, and that's why it fails ultimately. As ministers, and by the way, every one of us should be a minister. If you're a Christian, then you have been called to serve others be a minister of the gospel by sharing it, by teaching it, by encouraging people to live according to it. And if we're not doing that ministry in the power of God, if we're doing it in the power of the flesh, we're going to fail. There's the fruit of the Spirit, there's the fruits of service, and then the fruit of souls. Proverbs 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now let's go back to the illustration of the vine here. Why does the vine produce fruit through the branches? Think about it. Let's use the grapevine. Why does a grapevine produce grapes? Consider carefully. Some people might say, well, because it's food, it's something good to eat, you know. Animals are going to come along and they're going to they're eat that and they're going to be nourished. Now let me ask you a question. If we could put a brain inside the vine and then say, what was the vine thinking when it grew the grapes? Would a vine grow grapes just to feed wild animals? Would it? No. That's not how God created vines to be. That's not why God created vines to make grapes. Some might think, well, it produces something beautiful for us to enjoy. I'm sorry, but the vine doesn't care that you think its grapes are beautiful. Why does the vine produce grapes? To grow more vines. That's it. Because inside every one of those grapes is a seed. And inside that seed is everything that is needed for another grapevine to be established. Now, I know that we have modern agricultural ways. We do a lot of grafting, a lot of different stuff like that. But when you go back to Genesis, 
literally, back to Genesis, back to the beginning, what you find is that God created all the plants to reproduce after their kind. So whether it's the grapes, whether it's other forms of fruit, or whether it's the, the nuts and the acorns that comes on trees, all of those different things, what is the purpose of that? It's the seed of a new life. It's to reproduce. So why did, why did God put the grape seeds inside those delicious purple spheres? Why did God do that? Well, it was so that animals would come along and eat them and without going into too much detail, take them somewhere else and leave them. <laughs> it was to transport the life somewhere else. That's why God created fruit. Are, are you picking up on the illustration now at this level? When we say the fruit of souls... That is the most natural result of fruit is a new life. And one of the most natural results of abiding in Christ will be people coming to know Christ as a result of your influence and your obedience of sharing the gospel with them. The problem with our lack of soul winning, whether we're talking about in our church and in the community or in the nation or around the world, Whatever level you want to look at it, if there's a problem, here's what it is. It's not for a lack of programs, all right? If you want a thousand different soul winning programs, I could get them to you before the end of the week. I mean, they are everywhere. We have come up with every method, technique, and, and uh, way to do soul winning. I'm sure somebody will come up with a new one tomorrow. In fact, just this last week, I was given another book about some method of soul winning, and I'm all for it. I think they can be helpful. But if there's a problem with our soul winning and there's a problem reaching people with Christ, and if we're going to say, well, people just aren't being saved like they used to be, the problem's not with the soul winning programs, okay? The problem's not with the gospel, by the way, okay? The gospel still works. It is the power of God and the salvation. Here's where the breakdown has come. In the heart of the soul winner, as in the heart of every Christian. Because when we are abiding in Christ as we should, the natural result will be to want to share the life-giving message of the gospel with others so that they too can abide in Christ. It's not a chore. It's not a drudgery. It's not a, oh, we got to do this again kind of a thing. It is a delight. It is a privilege to share the life of Christ with others. That is the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in our lives fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of service, the fruit of souls. We want to try and wrap our minds around it, but I don't want to restrict it to just the things I've mentioned here because really, this is the fruit. Everything that God says in here that you should be and you should do, that's what God wants to produce in your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's notice finally the powerlessness, the powerlessness of the branches. Jesus finished verse 5, saying, without me, you can do nothing. What I want to say about this in closing is that this right here, these six words, without me ye can do nothing, are the heart of the gospel message. What is the gospel? 
that we are sinners doomed to hell and that we cannot save ourselves. Without him, we can do nothing. That's the heart of the gospel message right there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. What does Isaiah tell us? But we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Salvation is by grace through faith, apart from any work. If we have to produce anything to be saved, we're doomed. That's it. We can't do it. Because the only thing we can produce in our life are bad things. More sin. That's it. Why? Because we're a corrupt tree and a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. It's by grace and not by works. They're opposites. Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What is Paul saying there? Sounds like a tongue twister. You give your, you know, kindergartner. What's he saying? He's saying you have two options, grace or works. That's it. You can't mix the two. You can't blend them. You can't have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They are mutually exclusive. That's the gospel message. And what we're talking about then is taking the truth of the gospel that saved us at a point in time and living that truth every single day. That's what we're talking about. That's abiding in Christ. See, what we act like many times is, for salvation, I can't. It's all of Jesus. It's none of me. But after salvation, I got this, God. Thanks for your help. I'll take it from here. That's how we live far too often. Now, Jesus said this is an ongoing thing. You will never get to the point that without him, you'll be just fine. You'll never get to that point, ever. Because if you're saved, you're going to spend all of eternity depending on Christ. Colossians 2.6 summarizes it this way. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ? By grace through faith, apart from any work. So how are we to walk with Christ? How are we to abide with Christ? How are we to yoke up with Christ? By grace through faith, apart from any work. You say, well, does that mean we just sit around and do nothing? Oh, no, quite the contrary. You're going to be busy. Very busy. So busy, in fact, that if it weren't for Jesus, you couldn't do it. But that's the point. With Jesus, he does it. And you get to enjoy it. Every one of us wants to be productive. 
We're hardwired to produce. God created us that way. The question is, what will you be productive doing? Serving yourself or abiding in Christ? If you live for earthly pleasure, you can produce earthly pleasure. If you live for selfish gain, you can produce selfish gain. But only by abiding in Christ will you produce eternal fruit. Fruit that remains and that glorifies God and that brings you satisfaction and fulfillment. And it won't be you producing it. It will be God working in you and through you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, there's a song in our hymnal that says, without Him, I can do nothing. Without Him, how lost I would be. I cannot, nor do I want to, imagine life without Jesus. The Lord has seen me through some rough patches. And I know I'm not the only one. I say that and many of you are thinking right now about things that you've been through. And, and you know God saw you through it. I don't want to imagine life without Him. But yet I'll confess there are far too many times throughout my days where I act as if I don't need Him. I'm preaching to myself this morning too. And this, this invitation that I want to give is to all of those who are willing to admit today, without Him I can do nothing. And I want to invite you to have a serious time with God right now. And for some people, the physical act of leaving their seat and coming forward and kneeling at the front here to make an altar of the front of this church is helpful. And having a serious time with God. But I'm not extending this invitation because I want to count heads. I'm extending this invitation because I want you to walk out of these doors today knowing without Him, you can do 